Well, hello to you. You're tuned into Elite Business Live. We're here in central London. And as if by magic, I'm joined by a fantastic panel. Very nice to see everybody this morning. It's a bit of a reunion, actually, for half of us. Haven't seen Piers for far too long, but it's lovely to see everybody. Lara Morgan in the house as well. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about customers. We're talking about how to nurture relationships with customers that love us, that never want to leave us, but also we want to hear the tricks and techniques that have got everyone where they've got to. So let me say, Michael needs very little introduction, co-founder of Seven Hills. Thank you for that keynote, Michael. Um, why don't I jump to the end? Roan Lavery. Have I said your first name right, Roan? That's right, you have, yeah. That's right. Now, I'm fascinated with what you're doing as the co-founder and CEO of Free Agents. So this, thank goodness, is putting people in control of their finances. Sounds like a sort of good dashboard, take away the stress. Yeah, that's right. So we've been around since 2007. Uh, we're effectively an online accounting software um, firm and we support the smallest companies. So our customers are the very, very uh, sort of smallest micro micro businesses. Good. We help them do all their finances, their taxes, their invoices, all of that Got it. sort of stuff. Well, thank you. I want to know how you get them and how you keep them as so, well. Let's jump back down to the other end, keep the camera uh, team on their toes. Lara Morgan, how are you, Lara? I'm very well. It's very nice to see Lara, formidable entrepreneur, <coughs> started a business sold a business, keeps on investing in other people's businesses and being their sort of partner in crime. You're much more than an investor, actually. Why, you keep getting drawn to consumer businesses, though, don't you, Larry? You have got a soft spot. Yeah, I mean, I'm a product trader who grew up in Asia and I have the advantage of language, so ultimately um, I'm very lucky to look at great British invention and then finally, because it used to wind me up, that we used to seem to sell everything ah. after everyone else, so product-related. Yeah, so, so well, let, let's get some plugs in, though. Gate 8, great luggage. Thank you very much. OK, let's keep going. Um, Yogi Bear, awesome performance grip, Yogi Matt. Um, she's a brilliant young entrepreneur who uh, is so authentic, it actually is tear-jerking, her story. So that's worth looking at. We have Centred, which is in my pocket, mindful, yeah. healthful, well All right, we've not... You know, no, no, it's, not on. On. it's not QVC. <laughs> right, all right, OK. <laughs> uh, no, but thank you for the work that you're doing on that. Um, my yoga instructor said, how flexible are you? I said, I can't do Tuesdays. Um, what, um, <laughs> Sophie Millican, looking very good off the back of a big launch party. You're on to your next one. You've grown businesses, multi-award winning, particularly in the human resources space. But now you want to get people known, basically. You want them to be unmissable. Absolutely, yes. So I think that one of the key successes in my last business was when I became well more well known and it was through things like speaking and things like this um, writing books uh, press etc and it just made sales really easy because when you turn up to a sales meeting and people know who you are it's just like a really relaxed conversation it's really really easy to sell and you get fun opportunities off the back of it Got it. No, so thank you Sophie Milliken your latest business Moja Group that's right yeah, fantastic well I wonder if there's a dark side to that because if everybody knows who you are Piers Linney as a dragon on Dragon's <laughs> Den you probably get no, but you probably got pitched and still get pitched in every bloody corridor I in get the world. Pitched in trains, restaurants, men's toilets, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's the men's toilets. Yeah, I'm in the right one. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. Well, Piers, you're much more than just a, just a former dragon. You're a, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you invest in other people as well. You're the co-founder of Atherton Bikes. I hadn't realised that before. Yeah, this 3D year. printed, that? 3D printed titanium carbon mountain bikes with world champs. So that's, that's been fun. Yeah, how, absolutely amazing. But at a very different angle, the co-founder of Moblox as well. So a very digital business. Yeah, so Moblox, we want to disrupt the small business services market. Yeah. And communications and IT, everything a small business wants from one place. 
brilliant. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting these intros into your mind, so you start thinking, what am I going to ask these very interesting individuals? Why don't we give them a huge round of applause, welcome them to our gathering. <laughs> right. So it's going to be all killer, no filler from here, because I want to know, be blunt as you like, <laughs> how has what customers want based on what you've seen, what you've lived per firsthand, how's what they want changed over the course of the last couple of years? Okay, Lara. Uh, speed of delivery, personalization, finishing touches, yep. excellence in packaging, and always at the top of the agenda, I think, if we're smart, sustainability. Fantastic. Now, do speed and sustainability ever clash horns? Yeah, they can. I mean, it takes us and Yogi Bear and others a lot longer to bring a product to market because we give a toss about even the piece of plastic tape on the packaging. And we've made mistakes like that because you think you've cracked it and then somebody thinks it's a good idea to put bubble wrap. Mm. You, know, and you, you know, so there, there's real attention to detail. Yeah, lo lo love this pithy start. Let's keep, let's keep that pace. Roan. I think for me, it was when the pandemic sort of like happened and lockdown kicked in. It was a real pivotal opportunity um, for, for customer loyalty and a real sort of you could either make or break it at that point because people were looking to the businesses and the suppliers that they worked with to see how they were going to step up and help them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that was a really sort of people in a world under a huge amount of financial pressure. So a real simple thing, you know, we did payment holidays. Mm -hmm. You know, one of our customers came to us and, and said that their business was struggling and, and you know, they're, they're going to be struggling to afford our service. We didn't charge them for six months to give them so, that So that, kudos, that's compassionate of you. Is that now part, to what extent is that now part of their expectation? Um, I mean, I think people get the fact that there's, you know, hopefully we're not going to be living in a never-ending series of pandemics, right, and lockdowns. But that kind of gesture, that kind of, not, not just a symbolic gesture, but I think that gesture goes a powerful way to building relationships. People don't expect it all the time, but they know that, you know, you had their back when it really, really counted. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah. So, so um, are you filing, Sophie, whatever happened over these last two years as extraordinary times? Or is what we've seen the way it is now? I think it probably is the way it is now. And I think some of the things that have happened have just been, um, it's just speeded things up really, hasn't it? And, you know, I totally agree with the points already made. And it's very much around that personalisation, as Laura said, and just communicating with people. You know, the business that I was running in the pandemic was 90, 95% big events. And overnight, that just totally went. So it was very much about going back to those basics and making sure that those fantastic relationships that we built with clients continued. And how could we service them online? And online became a super, super crowded market. So how do you stand out? How do you continue to deliver excellent service when everyone's competing in the same space? And it, it's hard, but I think it's going back to relationships. Yeah, so we're, we're going to dig into that relationships point moment. So I want to get everyone in on this first question. Piers, what have you seen change? I mean, you're looking after so, so many I customers. I think fundamentally nothing has changed, really. I think mm. it's speeded up. I think things have been more digital. But you know, we, we, Mobilox, we're focused on small business owners, and they've had a huge amount of uncertainty. But they want things to be better, simpler, ideally cheaper, faster, and especially more flexible. <coughs> so I think they're still looking for the same things. The mix has changed. I think more and more people are looking online and looking at more, a more digital space for it. So you've got to make sure that all those factors, you can deliver them in a digital space, which I think is, can be hard to do if it's something you're not used to. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying the customer has become more demanding. They've become, well, they've become more demanding, I guess, um, but also the fact that you know, the ones that fare the, 
the best in doing COVID, the pandemic, are the ones that became more digital. They, they pivoted, they moved online. So to lots of those um, businesses and their customers, it's new. So you have to just, you know, the, the secret is always, is just talk to them and ask them what their issues are. Yeah. Don't always ask them what they want because they might not know how to do it. Ask them what their issues are and then just reflect it back as, as much as possible and keep iterating. That's just, what, that's just the way you need to work these days. Yeah, 100%. Now, Michael, you look after some extraordinary clients. You also interview them for change makers. Mm. What, what have you seen change? So I, I would agree with all of the, the panellists to say that there's been a major pivot to digital, um, both in terms of the way we work and the way we buy. Um, the question is, we just don't know to whether that, you know, that has created the next chapter of change that we're all now going to live in, mm -hmm. or the degree to which things might, might, sort of <clears throat> might balance out, um, given where, where we go, go from here. And I think this is, this is the point, is that when you go through something like a pandemic or a major global moment, is that it's very rarely that the first few months and weeks are the, are the, the real understanding of actually what has really changed. So I think that the, you know, what, what we are living in is a world that's very uncertain certain there's a lot of things that are up in the air and I think that what it means is that, that that customers are more yes they're more demanding because they're also more empowered because they know that they can do things and make choices with their with their products and of course they can punish companies that they don't they don't approve yeah, of as well and wallet. I think this also explains you know why why com you know, many of the larger companies are treading very carefully right now yeah. in terms of their relationships with their, with their customers. So, so, you know, if this was, you know, family fortunes or whatever it's called in the States, and I say, so what is the secret to not just getting but keeping customers, okay? I'm going to take out the top answer, which is just be brilliant. Just deliver amazing <laughs> products and services. So that's gone. So we're going to have to get deeper than that. And you can go as practical or as edgy as you like. Piers, I want you, I want to, let's dig into this. So I'm, I'm a big believer, and you've got to build a relationship. So the days of flogging stuff because your neighbours might turn up and there's some horrible bugs in your toilet and some big blue ones in advert, it's gone. So now you've got to build a relationship with your customers and I've got to believe in you, your brand, you know, sustainability, you know, we're registering as a B Corp as well. So build a relationship. I think the future, I'm a big believer in social plus. The future marketing is communities. So, you know, and that's quite hard to do, but building a community, I don't mean one to avoid them calling your support um, line. I Help mean, each other. I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, a real community. That's, a, so, that's so the future as well. So just to be clear, well. you're talking about connecting your customers with each other? Well, w with you and each other as well. Okay, okay. Just so they can, just, it's a way of building relationships. It's, it's a communications channel. Let's pause on that point, because I think that's a cracker. Anyone got an example of how they've helped their customers connect with each other? I'll let you back in, Piers, but I just want to build on that, just pull on that thread a bit. I, I think collaboration is working really well. I mean, if we, there, there has also been a drop-off since, you know, being trapped. The human is wanting to get out, and but there's a nervousness about getting out. So I think you're exactly right. We're in this juxtaposition as to how much is going to say digital and digital habit purchasing versus actually I'd quite like to go out and touch, feel, and select. Mm -hmm. So retail is is changing to experiential retail. Yes. So that they can show a product, okay. but that's different. Uh, and and what the about customer. You know, we, so for example, I have a brand called Kitbricks, outdoors customer, but the more we collaborate with other brands, whether it's Runderwear or a, an event space, uh. Runfest, run by the Times this summer, those yeah. things allow us to improve our community and yes. be authentic about the service proposition. Yeah, so, so I think that's a great broader example. Um, Rowan, if I start connecting my customers with each other, a free agent, are they all just going to gang up on me and start moaning and complaining together? Uh, yeah, they may do, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because uh, you know I, I think that you know you have to take the the rough with the smooth sometimes. You know I think you know I think to your original 
kind of question about how do you sort of build customer loyalty. I, I don't think that people think about customer loyalty in regards to businesses in a fundamentally different way than we think about it in terms with other people and individuals. You know, and I think if you imagine like people in your life that you feel a sense of loyalty to, what are the things about that person that make you feel that way? You know, what the characteristics? They're trustworthy, right? They're going to do what they say they're going to do. They care about you, you know, the personalization point, they take an interest in what you probably share the same values. All of these things, mm. I think, are the fundamental things. Now, if you're not living that and your customers are calling you out for that in any way, that's a good thing, right? Mm. That's an opportunity for you to kind of go in there and, and fix that. So yeah. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Okay, so but isn't the worry, Michael, that you sort of end up overstepping your role? And you might say, that, you know, you know good, good work on Lara's investment, but I didn't want a relationship. I wanted a candle. So, you know, I mean, because I just don't want us misled, because otherwise, what are we going to form a commune? What are we all going to form a commune? I mean, <laughs> where's this all going? Well, uh, well I think there is, um, there is a relationship with <clears throat> most things that, that you buy um, these days. And I think that, you know, this is where issues like brand um, comes in, in terms of what, what people... Um, what people feel, what, you know, so, so, so there is a relationship thing, you know, it, between I buy it because it's cheap and it's and, and it's cheerful and I and, and therefore I can light it and that's the candle. But there is also a relationship where you might want things that speak to broader issues of quality, or you might want to speak to issues like sustainability. And I think that all of these things, you know, they're not in a vacuum. They are part of the day-to-day -day relationship. And I think it's beholden upon the business entrepreneur to understand is that they're always going to have to get better in this world. I mean, this is one of the great things. The rising tide of customer expectation is nothing to be feared. It's to be celebrated because mm. that should be the engine of improvement and progress that drives businesses for the future. And, and how's that, Laura, by the way, playing out in the boardrooms that you're sitting in on? Are they still picking their, to what extent are they picking their battles around price? Or are oh. they happy to be better in other ways? I mean, being very frank, when I said I was well earlier, I also mean I'm well, but I'm knackered. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, is that we've all been in the product sector area, certainly dealing with uh, combustion around price that you can't believe because of freight and now fuel and, mm. and, it, and it's brutal. So I, I think, you know, the customer, <laughs> There's no question that lots of people listening will be going, well, we'll put up our prices because everybody else is, right? But actually, I think the way you communicate to your customer and you are authentic about what you're doing and the decisions that you make, I think that's where you also underpin the loyalty and say, look, hands up, you know, here's what's happened. Freight did go up 10%. But actually, who's going to bring price back down when freight levels out yeah. might be authenticity and, and it sort of goes back to something that Sophie and Piers were saying about levelling with people, about being straight exactly. with them. Absolutely. Not and it, taking them for fools. Yeah, completely. And, it, and it, again, it goes back to relationships, doesn't it? Building those relationships, being authentic, yeah. telling <clears> the truth and, and building on that. And then pe people can accept that and make a choice as to... Because I guess it's like, because if, if all you ever deliver is the bad news punchline, I'm putting your rent up, but you don't give them any sense of why or it's not within the context of a relationship. Piers? Um, I'm on a different point. <laughs> so the point is, is that, you know... It, if you're building a business, increasingly we're building recurring revenue businesses as well. So mm -hmm. the conversion, so winning the customer is one thing. And we all know, read any marketing book, much better to keep a customer than find a new one, mm -hmm. turn them into fans, and hopefully they recommend you. That's the perfect storm in terms of marketing. Mm -hmm. But if you're building a recurring revenue business, if your churn is 5% and you reduce your churn to 2.5%, because happier is a better experience, in five years' time, your business is twice as big. That's the reality of it. It's right. mathematical. 
Mm. I think I think there's a there's a there's been a shift to the subscription economy you know, over the last sort of like ten years. I actually very much started within obviously the software space, but now you can do it with foods, groceries. You can get a subscription. Yeah. You can get your cards. You can get clothes. All of these things. And what it immediately does is it shifts the value to like building long-term customer success and loyalty in a way that wasn't there before. Because you made a transactional sale, yeah, okay, you know, you got the person's money. Who cared if they weren't happy afterwards? You know, they'd already paid you. But now, if that person you're paying you small amounts every single month, you need to keep that person because you've invested all of that money to to get them on board to acquire that customer. You have to pay it back over like a longer period. And, how and, do and you your, know your, that? So your candles are a great example because you burn candles, perfect product. When it gets to the end of it. You want to come back and buy another one from you. So no, why, you want to buy why, a refill one what? from Centred. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> All right. Well, we, we could, we could wax lyrical about this for a long time. But my question for you, I'll get on your work in a minute, but my question, how, where, what does the dashboard look like? How do you know what your customers think about you anyway? Just give us a quick run. Oh. What's the dashboard? Um, how do I think? Our, well, so we have like lots of metrics, and we use uh, typically what we call balanced scorecard, uh -huh. which is like you can't just be good in one area. So, like you know, like Piers is saying, um, you can have really happy customers, but are they engaging frequently with your product? Do they stay with you? What's your return and retention? Uh -huh. our, our headline metric would be our Net Promoter Score, which you know, hopefully, m many people know here. Mm -hmm. So, that, in, the answer in, to that question. Yep. In Dara the old Khan. days, 64% of customers left because of neglect. Hmm. I wonder whether it's 64% of customers leave because I'm pissing them off with how much content I'm giving them. Pestering. Correct. That's so what the, I'm talking the, this about. This is the balance. You're my electricity provider. Stop saying hello. Yeah. <laughs> Just reduce your prices. But actually, maybe, maybe then have a conversation and, and allow your customer to to let you know how much they do want to hear from you. Our customers are really smart, right? Because it's a bit softer. So Michael and Sophie, though, Piers, in a second. But Because for some of your businesses, these are high-value clients. Mm. So how do you know, especially if you're not physically seeing them, how do you know how, they feel, how they're really feeling about you and the firm? You've built an amazing firm. We, we used to do this really well in my, in my previous business because we did have high-value clients. So we had... A, well, a decent sized number of clients and they were all high value. And at the end of each project, we would send out a, a survey, which sounds a bit laborious, mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't. It would take them two minutes to do. And we were asking them really direct questions about would they recommend us and how they rated us in various things, which then gave us an opportunity to follow up with them at the yeah. end of the project, ask them about anything that they had concerns about. But we always had 100% of clients saying they would recommend us and, and work with us again. And we had very long-term relationships. Really good question to ask. Michael, mm -hmm. what have you learned? Um, I'm just thinking about this. I mean, you know, obviously in the consumer space, I mean, there's huge amounts of money that, that is spent on um, on net promoter scores, on, on all sorts of ways of trying to track algorithms and conversations. And I think in the B2B space, it, it's a slightly different um, environment because, you know, it starts potentially with asking mm -hmm. your client. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to give a fairly old school answer, but, you know, I've, I've, always, I've always felt that um, <clears throat> a complaining customer is actually quite is actually a customer that, that wants a conversation yeah. and wants to sort something out. Beware the silent customer. Right. That's the one to really worry about, the one that goes really quiet, because that's the one that's probably thinking about their future and, and what comes next. So yeah. I, think, I think in kind of service economies is that that relationship is really important yeah. to get right. And understanding how cu customers feel is, is hugely, hugely uh, important. Right, so we're going to get a bit more provocative as we go. I'd like some questions from you on what you've heard so far. So please stand by.
in the studio. I see some questions coming through here. Here's a good one. What do you think young businesses are doing correctly right now? For example, Netflix, not so young anymore, is it? They're huge. Is it great branding or do they just know their audience well? Well, they have literally opened up their playbook on this. But would anyone like to make an observation on uh, this sort of next gen of very hyper growth tech businesses? Piers. Well, what's interesting the likes of Netflix is you, you think they're next gen and they're, they're the, the winner and you can already see that the disruptors are being disrupted. Mm. So, you know, you can never stop, you know, Disney's eating their lunch. So who's you know, their, disrupting their Netflix then? Well, it, it's big players, obviously, but increasingly also, you know, in social or content, you will see it drill down into niches. Mm. So you don't need to be on Netflix, but, you know, they're, they're doing particularly well, but... Even those companies, you look at Facebook, Meta, sorry, uh, they cannot sit on their laurels and expect to be, just continue growing because if they don't innovate, listen to customers, um, change what they do in, in, to reflect that, what customers actually want, then they will have their, their lunch eaten and they will become the acquirer, not the acquirers. Can, yeah. can I come in? Come in? I, I think they never lose the startup mentality. Mm. I mean, that, that yeah. when, you, when you read everything that Reed Hastings talks about, it's about that you know, he's got this great saying that if an idea doesn't it doesn't at first appear stupid it's not worth doing right mm. you know that that and and you know remember is that when when netflix first came in came into the marketplace it was written off as a, as a mail order business it was seen as like you <laughs> know it was never going to replace yeah. now i think what what's happened is that obviously they've become the status quo the status quo is quite a dangerous place for a business to be because actually when you're number one you've probably only got one place you can go after right. that um i think that the the, the constant act of reinvention yeah. explains a lot about what netflix so, is so jeff uh as I call him. Jeff Bezos gives everyone a door, doesn't he, at their <laughs> desk, because he wants to keep them hungry, keep them keen and all that, day one and all that. Has anyone got a practical tip? Because fostering the starter mentality well, works. It's quite interesting. How? So I was at a, a, a drinks last night, actually, with somebody who works in a very large media company, I'll mention the names, uh -huh. and Amazon came in with a, uh, a product they wanted them to have a look at, and literally he said it was some techies and a shoebox almost, that kind of size, just full of wires and circuit boards and sensors. And they said, look, have a go at this, see what you think. That's Amazon. Mm. You know, that's how they think, that's how they operate. So it's not afraid e to even, be rough and ready. No, even most starters wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Can I, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to test this out, if you go onto relentless.com, it will be quite interesting as to where it takes you. So that was the first URL that Jeff Bezos registered, and it still goes directly to Amazon because the core spirit was that we would be relentless Good. in our pursuit <laughs> of the protection of perfection of retail. Gosh, I wondered if no, none of Jeff's picks. I hope not. Yep. Good. Uh, are there questions in, in, in the room? Well, what are, you, what are your questions? That, that's how, how I should ask it. Because uh, I've got about another 50. But uh, we've got some. I'll take another one. Um, oh, all right. Looking right. Yes, please. Feel free to say who you are, uh, but you don't have to. Thank you, Jordan. And we, here it comes. Uh, first of all, thank you, Piers, for allowing me to come today. I got in oh. contact with you on Moblox and I got a ticket through that, so thank you very much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> your um, discussion is about retaining customers. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to know, my business personally is very much focused on my uh, craftsmanship and I'm trying to transition from um, <clears throat> the workshop side of um, the, the business side to be able to grow the business so that it um, can then carry on and grow um, to possibly further outlets and, and workshops. Um, but obviously, my customers are very focused on me completing the work because mm. they know me through the YouTube, through Facebook, and through my business persona. So, how can I um, 
translate that workmanship and craftsmanship into um, the business long term right. and help to continue that. Through. Right. Brilliant question. Can I ask what you're making, sir? I, uh, <coughs> sorry. I uh, convert camper vans. So Do you? Oh, can we come and see you in the break? Can we get a round of applause? Anyone who asks a question, even yeah. though they're feeling nervous about it, round of applause. That's yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Good. Right. So this is, who wants to have a crack at this? Because a lot of people well, will say, I want to deal with Mr. Sarchi, not Mr. Sarchi's <laughs> yeah, employees' yeah, yeah. employees. But so it's, a, it's a classic, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, we. I'm a salesperson by trade. I shouldn't, you know, that's what I like doing, it's what I'm good at. And so I had to work out, actually, am I the right person to run my business as I grew it? And you've got this even more challenging situation because you're skilled and you have expertise. But that, that finding the balance between teaching the same level of expertise, one of the things I learned, and I think it's a really important thing, is you'll win a customer, but at the going in of winning the customer, explain from the outset, you don't do all the work, right? You have a valued and trusted team, they're on a growing journey, but equally, why wouldn't you be the one that signs off the finishing touch so that your new team members nice. are held accountable? Nice. It's thinking of those touch points. Right, so, so thinking about it on thank, thank you, Lara. Sophie? Yeah, I totally agree. And you mentioned there that you've got, uh, did you say YouTube and uh, various personal brand things that you're doing? You know, can you involve the team in those so that they're getting to, to meet them so that they recognise their faces as well? So just trying to include them as much as possible. But yeah, it's looking at the little bits that you can do whilst not having to deliver everything. Yeah. Let me... Uh, as you know, I spent the whole of lockdown designing a camper van. Well, it's not a camper van, it's a, it's a van conversion. And I've had this conversation with a couple of people like yourself. And as, uh, Laura was right, it's about you know, explaining who's actually going to do the work. But at some point to scale, you've got to productize your, your workmanship, your craftsmanship into a brand, into a look and feel. People look at it and they know it's your, your quality and a QA process. So to scale, that's the only way you can actually do it. You just yes. have to pass on the buck. We've got to almost create a handbook in terms of how you deliver you. And also, even signature finishing touches on the camper van feel that my husband has one the same age as I am. 1967 split screen, but it's actually got Rolls Royce seats, yeah. meaning there's, uh, a, there's <laughs> a finishing touch that is his. All right, all right, signature. all right. <laughs> but it's a good example of where personalization really yeah. matters. And yeah. also spreading the franchise of your, of your team, because there is a huge boom in the craft economy in this country Absolutely. right now. And actually, if you look at the rise of Etsy and you look at the rise of a whole variety of ways where we just don't want to go to the usual dealers, um, you know, there's a real interest in this. And actually, finding you tends to be the hardest thing to do. So actually, you know, thinking about this in terms of, you know, you need a team because you need to get out there and spread the word is, is actually a good thing. Good, good advice. And, and, and th this is good because there's a surge of support for this, you know. And I've been through my own camper conversions, but that's between me and my drama coach. Oh, oh my now, um, here, 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 here is the thing, right? Um, it's on team spirit. And I want this from you, Vern, please. I feel like my team is less motivated and disconnected since the pandemic, all working from home. What are some ways I can create more team spirit with my employees? And I just want a, a, just a particularly practical thought, if you would. Yeah, which I think it's, it's definitely a challenge. You know, I think um, for many businesses, you, know, you rely on the office environment to kind of like support that team cam camaraderie. Um, so we did a lot. I mean, when, whenever we moved to working fully remotely and now we're in more of a sort of a hybrid setup, we still tried to do as much of the things we, we did, sort of like online events together. Uh -huh. We did team building kind of like things. Um, we would send our, our staff little gifts and little things that we know that we were thinking about them. You've just got to be constantly moving to mindset of, okay, you can't do the same things you were doing before, it, it sounds, doesn't do nothing. It sounds like a rhyme with Michael's Beware the Silent Clan, Beware the Silent Employee. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's just throw um, a curveball in in our just final couple of minutes. 
it seems that losing a customer can only ever be a bad thing. Am I right? No, I don't think no. so. Absolutely not. Right, tell me. Well, I mean, at one stage during my first business, we you know, all praised this particular hotel chain that looked like it was making a lot of our profit. But actually, when you started to analyse um, and really cost-analyse how much pain in the neck they were, how much demand there was, how much was dragging the team into stuff that wasn't core to our strategy, actually, in the end, deciding either to put up the price and, by the way, charge premium for your great service, you know, then the customer decides, are they paying for the whole service they're getting uh, or are you better without yeah. them and everybody else gets a better service? Sophie, I can take a bit of guts to ditch the dodo there. Mm. I mean, there's two things, isn't there? There's, there's that identifying clients that you don't particularly want and actually that's a great thing and you can then use more of your energy on those great clients. But then also sometimes, and I suppose I'm thinking back to, to my uh, corporate years where, where I was with John Lewis for a long time where we were very well known, still are, for excellent customer service and actually sometimes when things go wrong it's then how do you put it right and how do you show yes, them that right. you're being genuine in wanting to put it right and you often find that those ones then go and tell everyone what a great job you did putting it right yeah right so i can i can sense uh, hannah previtt's sort of ears burning because this point about relationships by the way michael is liking people underrated or overrated in business isn't it just about the money how much are they bringing in i think you i think liking people is hugely rated and i was thinking about it is that um one of the first things that Nick and I did was when we sat down was we said, don't work for dicks. Um, and, um, and that was a very important part of, what, of our thinking. Right? But, well, but it's not the hashtag uh, I was but, looking for from but, the morning. But I think beware the bullies in business, right? Is because I can remember a very young colleague of mine, we lost a very large client, and she sat me down and said, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to us. And yeah, what it, it turned out to be exactly that. Well, there could be a better message for what is happening in the world right now. Thank you so much, everybody. Massively appreciated. Thank you Thank very you much very indeed. Much. I think we're off this way. Thank you, Will, as our panel leave the stage. Uh, I know that tuned into all of that. Hannah, you have been listening intently. What did you make of that? What a fascinating conversation. And I really enjoyed um, Michael's presentation earlier. Some pictures of his dogs. Who doesn't like a dog picture to get us all going in the morning? Um, and I was with one of our mutual friends the other day, Alex Cheetle. You know him very well, Ollie, who said dogs look like their owners, oh. which I thought was really interesting. But he was talking about in business, the business that you create reflects very much the person. And I just thought that was, that was really interesting and seemed yeah. to align perfectly with some of what Michael was saying. Um, also around kind of inspired and engaged employees working harder and staying longer. And again, thinking about the skills shortages at the moment, uh, that, that's really important. So I think making sure that your team are happy and fulfilled uh, has never been uh, more of a, a big business uh, imperative. So yeah, how about you, Ollie? What did you enjoy from that session? Well, I, I, to, to be honest, I just wish we'd had a bit longer because I love this idea of being in the privileged position to be able to choose who you work with. And if an organisation just isn't working with you in ways that make you feel more alive or fulfilled, then dare to think differently, which is almost um, sacrilege in some circles. But th that really intrigued me. Hannah, let me just say one thing. This afternoon, we've got a very interactive session. It is a breakout with Connex Hub's founder, Mark Trowbridge, who's in the studio with us, on why all businesses should employ more freelancers. So I'm very intrigued by that. If I could clone myself, I would be there. But Hannah, you're waiting backstage. Uh, we're going to have a very brief coffee break here through the main studio and out in our main spaces through those double doors. But stay tuned at home. I'll hand you over to the brilliant Hannah Previtt.
Thank you very much, Ollie. Uh, no coffee break for you here, Michael. If you could come and join me in the hot seat for your third and final grilling of the morning. Thank so thank you for bearing with us. Um, really interesting session from you up there on stage. I was interested to hear a few people talk about B Courts, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously you work with many of them yeah. at Seven Hills. I mean, does it actually matter? Does anybody care? If everyone is a B Court, does it kind of dilute the value? Well, I, I think they're a long way from everybody being a beaker, yeah. But I think there's definitely a big sort of rise in interest in mm -hmm. them. And of course, I think you know what they're asking companies to do is change their articles of association, think about you know people, planet, and purpose um, in terms of the future. I think you know what they've got to make sure is they keep the standards high. And you know, at the moment, there's a lot of companies that want to be um, want to be a part of it. I, I chair the entrepreneurs team at, at Coots, and um, you know what we've what what they've just become a B Corp, and you know, and it's a transformational you know, agent of change for a business to think about the contribution it's making and, and, and really B Corp's a good way of doing that. So just for anybody at home who doesn't know what it means, just in short, can you tell us the process? Because it's pretty arduous, isn't it? It's, it's pretty, it, it's a grilling, right? You know, I mean, I think they're not just giving this away. I mean, you go through a points-based system where you're building up um, a review of your company in terms of its processes, in terms of um, really its ethical responsibilities, its relationship with employees, its equity structure, um, lots of things about you know being a good employer and fairness and in the workplace and you know and I think that you know the sustainability angle also drives in and these are all sections and and you're scored over over a process by, by assessors um, once you're in you get you get B Corp accreditation and you know you see lots of lots of FMCG brands that use it really successfully in their you know relationships on supermarket shelves things like that so it has a commercial benefit I think as well mm -hmm. absolutely and on the mission side of things yeah. for some businesses like the example that you gave on stage earlier with dash um, incredible brands uh, it doesn't come as easily right so Ollie was saying about choosing you know kind of choosing that messaging what about if you if you kind of rack your brains and there is nothing can you can you fake it till you make it <laughs> I don't think you have to I mean I honestly would say that I think every business can look inside and say well what is it that we do good and well and what makes a difference and I, I really do believe that yeah I'm yet to sort of come into an environment where I think this is a company that makes no difference right you know I mean I think because it's not a good it's not it's not a good outcome for companies that make no difference right you know in, in the longer run but if so you think about a company that just makes a widget and they just want to they think they can source them better from the far east or they can get them cheaper for their customer it might be a bit harder for them to kind well, of reflect upon yeah. themselves and say well actually we have a deeper mission but, but that's a short term that's a short term opportunity right you know in, in in the longer run is that you know the rise of consumers that are conscious about their choices and what goes into their products I mean you see that in supply chains now where you know those widget manufacturers if they're supplying you know large automotive brands like BMW and, and, and others is that they want to know that their their supply chain is pure and actually it's being delivered by companies that they that they can stand up and be be counted by and mm -hmm. I think that you know this idea of kind of like cut corners that you know don't do it right until you can afford to do it. I think that's a really sort of counterproductive way of looking at it. I think the, the opportunity is get it right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a big a big thing, a big kind of charitable cause. It could just be if you're making widgets, you're going to make the best widgets, you're going yeah. to build a great team. It can be some of those more simple things, can't it? Absolutely. I mean, I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a... 
is so much more than a charitable cause. I mean, it should speak to something that you do. It should speak to an inner sense of actually, this is the difference we make. This is our intent as a company. And I think that, you know, a purposeful company starts by being a great company in what it does. And you're right. I mean, having a real passion for what you do is the first big step going forward. Because if you have a passion for it, then you tend to care about it. And if you care about it, you want to do it right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming and joining us here this morning. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. I'm now going to be joined by Lara. If you could come and come and join me here. Hello, gorgeous. Hello. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you. So one thing that really struck me by what you were saying up there was about uh, you said you're tired, by the way, you'd never know. Um, Thank you. But there'll be lots of entrepreneurs watching at home thinking, I'm bloody tired. Yeah. It's been a really tough <laughs> two years. Just how do you keep going? You've been in business a while now. You've had an incredibly successful career, but there's always hard days, right? Yeah, there are. And I think disproportionately we have been thrown into a number of hard days for a long, long time. And I think there's an honesty. In fact, um, I was asked to speak at an accounting conference yesterday. They should never let me in, never let me loose. But, you know, the reality that people are speaking up and actually saying, I need a bit of breathing space. So I think, you know, that thing about agility, about, you know, Poets Day, let people go early on a Friday, do things that give them absolute flexibility because our life has been turned upside down. And I don't think I'm currently doing a speech around the dinosaur, the elephant and the rhino because the dinosaur is the person not realizing that things are going to change for good. The elephant is in the room. Are we going to challenge the leadership and say, actually, come on, we can be better than this. Let's talk about it. Because when we talk about it, actually people come with great flexibility and ideas and maybe you shouldn't dictate. And then the, the rhino is, it is crunch time. You know, We've got a younger generation that are looking at businesses differently, the rise of B Corp sustainability, the importance of, of plastic free. If we can take a breath from time to time and lead by example, but I, I sat in a car last Friday off and on as I watched my godson play hockey. I was still working a bit, but nobody minded when I showed them the BMW car in it as my office of the day for my calls. Mm -hmm. Because actually, I think there's a down-to-earthness about people realising we have life again. Mm -hmm. Let's enjoy it, let's find a balance, and let's be fair to our teams. Mm -hmm. And there is something there, isn't there, about leading by example. And I think you see... You know, you see some founders, we won't name them, of particularly kind of fintech. There's that bit of kind of a bro oh, culture. Yeah. You knew what I was going to say yeah. there. Um, and, you know, it's kind of work all the hours. They'll send emails all around the clock and they expect everyone to live and breathe the business like they do. And that's not always fair, That is was it? a huge learning for me because... When I was younger, I used to think, why can't they work? Why can't they? Why can't they live? Bre well, actually, they're not shareholders, some yeah. of them. Right. And when you're a shareholder, you die for the, ex the value. And, you know, I'm still bonkers, but I have better um, perspective and I split my time. But equally, you know, I think if you want a really motivated team and you want to um, have them be at their best, we all need to break. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally have a, a hands off day where I send never an email on a Saturday now. But I, I always dip into making a mistake because I'm passionate and I love what I do and I want to get it moving. And, and you just have to be realistic and say, you know, back off a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, a great piece of advice to leave us with. So thank you very much. So nice lovely to see, to see you, Lara. See you. Thank you very much. Sophie, you're next. Oh,
Hello. Hello. Good to see you good again. See you. What I really want to dig into with you is some of the things that you do outside of your kind of day job that we were mm. hearing about mm. up there. Because that's all what kind of rounds you out, isn't it? As an entrepreneur, Absolutely. as a kind of portfolio businesswoman. So yeah. tell us a bit about some of the other things that you're involved oh, with. In I'm the kind of person that just literally says yes to everything <laughs> and then kind of panics about how I'm going to deliver everything. So some of the other things that I am involved in at the moment, um, I'm an author. I've written two books. So From Learner to Earner, a book for students to help them get a graduate job the Ambition Accelerator to help young women with their career aspirations. Um, and one of the things that I'm particularly proud of at the moment is that I chair a charity called SmartWorks in Newcastle. So SmartWorks is a national charity. It is uh, supporting unemployed women by giving them interview clothing and coaching. And we operate across the whole of the North East. So it's not just Newcastle, it's the whole of the North East. And we're aiming to double the number of women that we support this year. So we're looking to support 720 women. So a really, really exciting wow. uh, responsibility. And so how do you how do you find the time? How do you fit it all in? Do you, it's really hard. Do you sleep? Um, I do sleep. And actually, do you know what? Getting a good night's sleep helps me to do all of those things. I'm a bit of an early bird. I'd rather go to bed early and get up early and just crack on. I'm at my best in the morning, absolutely. And, you know, that, that helps. But I think if it's stuff that you want to do, you find the time to do it, don't you? Mm -hmm. Find the time. And you surround yourself with a good team so that you can delegate quite a bit. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing some of that with us. Um, I think we should all make sure we check it out. Smartworks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's national charity. I think we've got eight branches throughout the country, but Newcastle is the one to check Well, out. thank you very much for all your work you're doing there. Great to meet you, thank Sophie. You. Pierce, you're up next. Hello, Hello again. good nice to see you, see you again. again. It's like Same a reunion place. here, Same isn't place. it? Exactly. It feels like a long time ago, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, it's a long time in a pandemic, isn't it? A year. So, um, what I really wanted to hear from you is about social media, actually, because we were talking there about kind of branding and uh, and how you connect with customers. Yeah. You're very good on social media. Have you got? Obviously, it helps that you have a big following because of TV and your your career so far. But how do you connect with customers and people you want to do business with on on, on social media? And do you have any tips for our audience? Well, it's actually it's actually quite hard. I uh, you, know, you say I'm good at it. I struggle with it sometimes. You and you'd never know that. Well, 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 to do it, you actually need to have, and we're getting there now with the team as well, you need to, have, you need to be consistent. So who are you? So make sure that it's very clear in terms of the content you're communicating, and then be consistent about it. And clearly, awareness is a function of the quality of the content, how relevant it is, and also the volume of it as well. So you've got to put a lot out there. To, and then when you get the feedback, like we were talking about earlier, is talk to your followers and say, is this the right content? Are you relevant? And if you, if you can't do that, look at the stats and then try something different. It's all about data at the end of the day. And then try something different, see if that works. And eventually you get what I call, not product market fit, content market fit. Mm. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Even as a journalist, right, we have to push out all of yeah, our own content yeah. now. Uh, and it's just another, another thing to do on the ever-growing yeah. to-do list. Um, we've got a question from Jacqueline Trotman who asks what the positives and negatives are for outsourcing elements of your business in the early days. Uh, I think I've come to the right person to ask this question to, but perhaps you might only tell me about the positives. But yeah, are, are there... There are negatives. There are. So, yeah. so, but it, of course, some of it's down to cost, right? Obviously, it's much more cost-effective well, to so outsource elements rather than yeah. hire full-time staff? Well, it's cost and it's flexibility as well. So, you know, Moblox, we're building a team, quite a lot of uh, software engineers, and I've sort of been looking at how I want to structure that team. So I, I want the, the core team inside the tent, as I call it, but as we burst into certain requirements or specialisms, then it probably doesn't make sense to hire them. I don't want the overhead. And they might cost more than actually an employee 
but actually it's going to be for a short, shorter period of time. So the key thing really is flexibility. When you're building a business, what you ideally want are variable costs. So you don't want too many fixed costs because mm -hmm. as a business moves, they don't. And that creates risk. If your costs are moving with the business up and down, they're variable, that reduces operational risk. And by outsourcing some, some things, you can make that work. In some cases, you can't outsource. Sometimes you need to have people inside the tent. But try and stay as flexible as possible, negotiate. And especially in small businesses, flexibility is key. Fixed costs kill small businesses. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, a really good piece of advice there for people watching at home. Are there any specific parts of the business that are better or easier to outsource than others? For example, you know, we often talk about FDs, so like part-time FDs. Yeah. People, you know, startup scale-ups often talk about the FD as being a really crucial role when you're scaling. Obviously, somebody watching the money in and the money out. Are there some roles that you shouldn't outsource? Um, I, th I think key, you know, co-founder, senior roles, I call it inside the tent. But depending on the size of your business as well, if you're a small business, then ideally you want to outsource admin. You want to focus on the things you're good at. There was a guy in the audience earlier, and he was saying that he's a craftsman. So he should be a craftsman or a salesperson. He shouldn't be spending time doing bank recs at the weekend. You know, he should be using software to automate as much as he possibly can so you can focus on where you add the most value. Mm-hmm. Great advice. As always, thank you so much, you. Pierce. It's been really good to see you again. I think we're now going to be joined by our final oh, guest please. over here. Watch the light on your way out. Um, hello. hello. Our first time meeting. Welcome backstage with much. us here. I was really interested to hear you talking about subscription earlier yeah. as a model. Um, it reminds me of a, of a training session I went to on why everything isn't a podcast, because everybody wants to do a podcast and everything. Yeah. Everything isn't a subscription, is it? Um, it? It's not, but you see there's there's definitely an attempt to, to move it in that direction, and there's a lot of really good reasons for that. And from a financial perspective, it makes a huge amount of sense for businesses because, you know, I think as, as, as Piers just mentioned there, one of the things that you want is predictability in your revenue. So in a subscription business, there are, there are challenges with it in terms of it'll take you a while to build up that revenue, but when it's there and you have good customer retention, it's very, very reliable. So you're seeing many, many more businesses from you know Netflix um, to obviously software companies to like I mentioned before clothing companies grocery companies trying to build this as, as a model now you know that, that maybe that isn't always what consumers want and I think there's maybe a tension here between what um, some of these people just want to buy something and move on versus what businesses are trying to do I think for the for the businesses it's about how can you demonstrate value on an ongoing basis to be able to sort of justify that subscription but mm -hmm. it's certainly attractive from a business perspective yeah it's, it can be a busy old market though isn't it and also I just from a personal point of view people don't want to have hundreds of subscriptions do they so you have to make sure you really stand out and that comes to uh, one of our questions we've got here from somebody watching at home mm -hmm. how you stand out be uh, you know above and beyond the competition particularly if you're in a really crowded market this person owns a bakery so how you can you know make sure that people come and buy your breads your croissants whatever it is that they're making yeah. beyond uh, you know a rival so have you got any kind of advice around competition and making yeah. sure you can stand out out. I think it's all about differentiation at the end of the day. You know, we were in a very, very competitive market. Uh, we have some big, big competitors who are well, well full of funded, big companies. But we really tried to sort of like focus on a niche and it was something that we saw the other players in the market weren't necessarily doing. So we focused in on that and really made sure that we were the absolute best at delivering that. So you've got to think as a what's unique about you, either in your brand or your product and service, and really double down on that because that's going to be the way you're going to get cut through and you're going to be able to differentiate. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so we heard a lot there before from Michael about mission and purpose. Mm. What's your mission? So our mission at Free Agent is to make uh, micro-businesses happier and more successful by putting them in control of their finances. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, and that is something that we communicate a lot internally as a business because everything we do, we call that our North Star. So everything we do, we should be believe that it's in service of that mission in, in some way. So I, I do think that, um, there is a, that people want to work for purpose-led companies. And I think people want to buy from companies that have values that they resonate with as well. So I, I do actually believe that increasingly it's an important aspect of doing business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is it something that you want your teams to bear in mind? Like, how do you make sure that they're on board with the mission at all times? Is it something you kind of drum into them when they're onboarded? Yeah, absolutely it is. We spend a lot of time communicating our, both our values, but our, our mission and purpose as well. But I think it's it's not a case of drumming into stuff. I think it's something that people are as attractive as an employer. People want to work for companies that are doing something that's meaningful, that's going to benefit society in some way. So I think it's as much about a recruitment um, tactic is, is about anything else because people don't just want to work for a corporation that's just like you know cranking out stuff and making money without really caring about the impact that they're having mm -hmm. uh, on society so it is, it is really about attracting uh, great talent as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I think increasingly during the pandemic, people have got on board with micro businesses and small businesses, right? Mm. We've seen a real trend towards people wanting to buy from their high streets rather than buying from Amazon or one of the other big, big giants, haven't we? So I can see there's probably a lot of demand for the sorts of services you're offering. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we are in a reasonable size company now, but I think people really want that. They want that sort of like, maybe not face-to-face, not -face, but that closer human interaction and that great customer service. And that's something that we've always paid a huge amount of attention to as well, is really going above and beyond with the customer support and the service that we provide. And people really appreciate that. And again, it's the topic of what we were talking about earlier is one of the things that's going to really strengthen customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Thank you for bringing great. us full circle back to the okay. topic from earlier. So Fantastic. thank you very much. It's really Thanks, great to meet you. Great, great uh, thank you.